What's up, guys? Welcome to the Social Bamboo Podcast. Today, I have a podcast listener award. We have Anella Malik, and she runs the page Be the Malik. You can check her out on Instagram. She's also over 100K on TikTok, nearing 40K on Instagram, and I got a Twitter presence going too. But if you don't know what the podcast listener awards is, that is where if you listen to the podcast and you've gained over 25,000 followers on any major social media platform, then you can submit to be on the podcast and get interviewed. And we'll just figure out a couple of the things that you're doing really well. Uh, Today, we are mostly going to be focused on how she has monetized. She's a personal brand and influencer that is actually making a full-time income and uh, she doesn't have over 100k or over a million on Instagram, like a lot of people would think. Uh, but she's made the uh, true uh, great income from her uh, almost 40k followers on Instagram. So we're going to get to the bottom of that. But uh, how you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. We are doing a end of the day interview. So we are both totally done with the day once this is done recording, but this is when it worked for us. And uh, we're just going to have some fun and get that last, uh, last thing in before the day's over. So uh, to start here, just tell us a little bit about your background. uh, And how did you even get into social media? Yeah, so I actually started on Instagram. Instagram is still kind of my home platform um, as a hobby. And I had no intention of becoming an influencer or growing a platform. I had a job, my former career, I was a diplomat and I was representing the U S government. And part of my specialty was, was this area that actually overlapped a lot with the skills you need as a content creator. And I was new and, you know, it's a very hierarchical organization. I wasn't getting as much hands-on experience as I wanted. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to start blogging. Uh, because it'll teach me the things that'll make me better at this job. And then my like hobby that was only designed to make me better at my job (laughs) kind of exploded over a year and a half unintentionally. So um, started growing really fast. And I just started getting opportunities that I eventually was like, if I say no to this, this is absolutely nuts. Um, And at the same time, you know, my, I wanted to leave that job. I wasn't happy. And so I was like, I'm going to make the leap. I'm going to see if this could work out because it seems like there's a lot of opportunity there. And I started focusing on food in the beginning because that's really, especially for me as somebody who was living abroad and traveling, like food is the way that I like to experience new places. Um, But I've since expanded to now do food, travel, and lifestyle. So starting in that niche was, uh, would you say that was important though? Did that make it a lot easier to grow at the beginning? Yeah. And because my content was super focused at the beginning uh, and it it gave me, I think it was easier when I didn't really know my brand voice yet. I didn't know who I wanted to be or like who I wanted to represent, represent myself as online. It gave me something to focus on where I was like, I know what I want to talk about here in this, this area. So then I can focus on the skills I need to learn. I didn't have a video background. I'd never made a video before. I didn't have a photography background. (laughs) I had to build a website, all those things you have to do. Um, So I felt like it gave me focus at the beginning. So there's a lot of people that start food accounts, but never really go anywhere with it because there's just so many of them. Was there something that you were doing that was unique about what you're doing or what do you think really stuck out? Yeah. So I would say that there's a lot of competition in the food space on social media. And I learned pretty early on that as somebody without a photography or videography background, 
what I like to call food porn probably wasn't going to be my area of expertise. I'm never going to make the video that's like going to be a commercial for food. You know what I mean? And so I thought, well, let me just pursue my own interests in food, which were learning about new cultures, learning about new places, learning about history. That's like what food had always been for me when I was traveling and I was meeting new people and I was like, you know, learning languages and, and doing all these things that I had done in my former life. So I really used food as a vehicle for storytelling. So a lot of my food content and still to this day focuses on history, focuses on like marginalized perspectives, talks about food as like a, a space for community and culture, as opposed to just here is this beautiful melted cheese because the melted cheese has so much competition and so many people are doing that. The melted cheese just pouring onto like, <laughs> like the video of it. And then, yeah. Or like the, you know, the mozzarella stick that you break open and the like cheese string like that, that cheese pole is so common and it's beautiful. And it's, it's enticing because most of us love cheese but there's any given day on food Instagram, 10,000 of those. So if you're interested in a really competitive area or a really competitive niche, you have to think about like, what can you offer that other people aren't going to offer? And so for me, it was like historical and political and nuanced storytelling through food, which makes sense. I worked in politics before this. And now you've got the travel and did you say fashion is the other just lifestyle. It's just oh, kind of a catch-all okay. for other things, yeah. And really, it's just you now. I mean, you really started as like a food account, but now it's just an account about Anella. Um, would you say that this bridge happened because people really started to get to know you for uh, for you more than your content? Or how did you um, become more of a personal brand account rather than niched down? So I feel like even when I was just doing food, my voice is very strong, aka I'm very outspoken. (laughs) There was never uh, an account that I could create that wouldn't have a lot of me in it. And I've seen some people who can do it, who can tell the stories about the restaurants or, you know, the things they're eating and not inject themselves into it. But that's just not kind of who I am. Um, So I always had that element there. And I, because I was doing Uh, storytelling that was a little bit more robust rather than just restaurant reviews or just recipes. I did feel like when I was trying to expand into travel, it was a little bit easier because people were already used to hearing my voice. People were, were used to hearing my narration, my storytelling, or my take on something. And so even if now I was talking about this travel experience, well, they, they're already kind of used to that when I was talking about this food experience. And as far as getting partnership deals, um, did anything really happen there? Was it harder to get or like food companies like, wait, are you still uh, a food account or did it change any part of your process? Yeah. So I would say that when I was doing just food before I made the transition, I was so busy. I never pitched. Um, I had to turn down partnerships left and right. And then when I started making the transition, that slowed down a lot, right? What was coming to me slowed down. And I wasn't getting as many inquiries from travel organizations because they didn't know who I was, right? I didn't have any travel content. I wasn't really on their radar. So I did a few things. I started pitching, me and my assistant started pitching aggressively, but also 
I started just creating travel content on my own. I wasn't going to wait for companies to pay me to do this thing I wanted to do. And I do have a lot of privilege, right? Like I have a subscription, I have other income, which we'll get into, which allowed me to just be like, this is something I think I could do really well. So I'm just going to try it and I'm going to pay for it. So I planned some trips that were pretty low cost, but um, high impact as far as the content I felt like we could get out of it. And I just booked them and planned them myself and filmed them and scripted them and did the research and created the content from it. And then I had that kind of as an example uh, for when I was pitching travel organizations to be like, look, I've done a lot of work in food, but I just did this mini series on my own that reached like 1.5 million people. So um, let's talk about it. And that was really, really helpful. And it wasn't super expensive. I think we got you know, we, if we want to talk numbers, like for this mini series, I think we spent like $750. Um, but we got like multiple weeks of content out of it. And those huge numbers that I could use as a case study. So that was you doing just a, a vacation that you're planning on doing anyways, and then you turn it into creating the content for it. And then that was kind of your case study uh, to pitch to these other brands. And you said you got, did I get that right? Yeah, basically, um, okay. it wasn't a vacation. I'll say that when you travel for content, it's not a vacation. <laughs> okay, so that's the one part that's different. <laughs> that just breaks the whole wall uh, for, for influencers that you're not even having fun when you're <laughs> doing this content, huh? I mean, I would say I love it. Like I learn so much. I get to see and experience such cool stuff. But when you're traveling to make content, you're making sure you get the good lighting, making sure you get the right angles, right? You're making sure you're up for sunset and you, or for sunrise and you make it to sunset. You're organizing clips at the end of the night. You're writing notes so that you have those notes for the captions and the voiceovers you're going to do later. So like you experience all of the things. It's super dope. But then it's like a 14 hour workday. What I found is super annoying, like not even as an influencer, but just as like friends trying to take pictures of food where like they're trying to take a picture of the food and they didn't get it right. And like everyone wants to eat, but they haven't got the right shot yet. So uh, that times, you know, every single part of your life, I could see how <laughs> that could get uh, annoying. But uh, I mean, it, it still is a pretty great occupation and still a pretty good time. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love it. It's just work. So I'm always like, cause you know, I think people see influencers and they're like, wow, this life is amazing. I'm like, it is fucking amazing. It also comes with a lot of like ups and downs, like entrepreneurship in general. Um, and yes, it's, it's a lot of work. It's hard to say no to things. I think when you're a content creator, because anything around you could be good content. What would you say is the least favorite part of being an influencer? Oh, <laughs> okay. I like the creative stuff. And then the, the like bus business side, the technical side, I, it's just, I struggle with. So if I could just write and film things and like make fun things that inspire people and spark conversation, I would be really happy. Finances, keeping receipts, like dealing with taxes, uh, tweaking my website, like all of those other little things that you need to do to kind of keep it looking like polished and keep it together. And also, you know, not have the IRS come after you. That stuff sucks. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? 
Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. That stuff is not very fun. And it's funny that you say that because um, two podcast episodes ago is me interviewing a tax professional on entrepreneur taxes. And I was thinking, uh, I was like, I don't know how many people are actually going to play this episode. So I called it entrepreneur taxes and maximizing profits because it's more <laughs> than just taxes. But it's one of those topics that we all need to to know about, but it's it's not as fun as, you know, seven ways to go viral on reels. <laughs> yeah, it's important, but it also sucks. Okay, so the the technical side, uh, the financial side, as well as the technical side, like the video editing, or is there any part of that that you don't like? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I like editing, even though I have now hired a third-party editor, just because I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok, and then Twitter, and I have a subscription community, and I do a lot of video content for them as well, and the video for them is is much longer, it's like YouTube style, so um, between that, I can't do it all myself. Though I do enjoy editing, I don't get to do that much of it anymore. And that editor is uh, basically just uh, cutting out redundancy, or are they doing a lot of captions and effects? Uh, all of it. So, I mean, we we use Google Drive. We'll send clips back and forth, but really. I will give them all of the raw footage and kind of a sketch outline of what I want it to look like and what I want it to feel like. A lot of it, I feel like for video editing is like, you're talking about pacing, you're talking about mood, you're talking about, um, you know, storyline, et cetera. So I'll send them those and then we'll just send back drafts back and forth until we get it where we want it to be. That is probably the hardest part of hiring a video editor is just the amount of back and forth that happens. It would be nice if it was just done the first time, but I mean, it's- yeah, I mean, I have worked with my editor, uh, for almost a year. And I would say that like, now there's not a lot of back and forth because they know me really well. Right. And they know what I like. And I can say like, you know, I want this mood and they kind of know what that means. And also I, I'm, um, I think for anyone who's thinking about hiring a third party editor, it's really good to send example videos back and forth and they don't have to be your own videos. So I'll send clips along with a link to someone else's reel. And I'll say, you see the movement that they managed to capture in this reel and how they made it feel like, you know, it was moving really quickly, et cetera, even though they didn't use very many clips. Let's see if we can mimic that kind of motion with the footage that we have. And that helps a lot. I talked about that before on the podcast about hiring an agency is you can't just hire oh, you guys are a YouTube agency. You can edit my videos and make my thumbnails. And I I don't have to give you any specific instruction for how I want it or send you a bunch of examples. Uh, If you just try to hire that out, you'll be very unpleased, but it's also like you can't expect them to to do it right just yet. You you really got to provide all these examples and train them yourself. Yeah, it's a lot. So let's get into the uh, subscription thing that you're mentioning. This is um, the the biggest part of your income, I believe you mentioned. So um, tell me about uh, where the idea came from. Did you think I need to make a subscription? That's where all the money is. Or did you think this is what I want to provide? And then this is kind of the format I should present it in. 
Yeah. So when I first decided to go full-time, I didn't really have a plan. I just wanted to quit my old job. Right. And I took a risk and I, I was like, I'm married. And if it doesn't work out, I know my husband's job is stable and I'll just get another job. I think a lot of people are afraid of failure, um, especially when they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. And ultimately we will all fail many times in our lives and we just kind of have to see if we can make it work. So I took that risk and at the time I didn't have a plan. <laughs> so I asked my audience for ideas and I'm really, really kind of community oriented on social media and in my subscription as well. Like I asked my audience for feedback on many, many things and they give me such great insight. So a lot of them said, at the time, we follow you because you have this really unique perspective, because you talk about history and politics and culture and all this really complicated stuff that you, you make it seem simpler for us. Um, and so like, we think that that would be ideal for a Patreon. And I wasn't really familiar with Patreon at the time, but I said, why the hell not? So I launched on Patreon without really having a plan <laughs> and didn't really figure out how to market my Patreon or really what I wanted to offer there for the better part of maybe six to seven months. I was like experimenting, iterating there. And I finally figured it out. I got into a groove. Um, and so my, my subscription community is called Magic at the Margins. We focus on food and beverage and really going deeper on food and beverage in a space that is completely ad-free. Um, we learn how to be better in the kitchen, either through event, events or we'll do cocktail classes, but also every week they'll get a drop that goes deep on a food and beverage topic. So we've gone into like the history of American barbecue. Um, this week we had, actually I hired a writer. So I now, the subscription's large, large enough that I can hire guest creators. I hired a writer um, who's written for National Geographic, I think she's Bon Appetit, like every big magazine. And so she wrote an original piece that's just for the community about, um, how in the South people eat jelly on breakfast biscuits. So like a sausage, egg and cheese biscuit, but it'll have grape jelly on it. So things like that. Um, and I eventually was like, I know what I want to offer in this subscription. It's definitely for my food folks who are into what I'm offering on social media, but like maybe social media isn't the best space for them because they're people, everyone I know is frustrated with how much sponsored content is on social. And it's just the nature of having a free platform. Um, and they want something more than you can get in an Instagram caption. And so that's what I built my community into through a lot of trial and error. And then four months ago, we transitioned off of Patreon, which was terrifying. So to leave the platform <laughs> that you've established yourself on to say, Hey, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to do this in a different place. So I actually built a subscription space on my website and uh, I managed to transfer over everyone and even gain a few hundred subscribers in the transfer, um, which was really cool. But, you know, that was like a big lift for us to make sure that we uh, could market it and also that we could get people to make the, the change because they had to do it on their end. They had to cancel and resubscribe. And so now uh, my subscription is completely housed on my website and I love it. I have so much more control and I'm saving a ton every month as far as fees. So when moving from Patreon to your own website, you said that you gained 100 subscribers, even though all those people had to unsubscribe from Patreon and then resubscribe to the new website. How did you get uh, even more than 80% of those people to resubscribe is pretty crazy. Um, and then where did these extra subscribers come from? Yeah, so I actually picked up a few hundred subscribers in the transition. 
And so we did kind of like a phase transition plan for the first month. We really talked about the transition with the Patreon folks, emailing, sending them messages, um, making sure that every week when I release like our exclusive weekly content for subscribers, there's a note in there, there's step-by-step instructions, et cetera. I did offer an incentive. So I gave them a couple weeks free if they transferred over. It's marginal, it's not that much, but you know, it's, it's a little bit of an incentive. So we did that for the first four weeks and then we did a nine day Instagram campaign. Um, so nine days where we plotted out various feed posts, maybe making sure we're um, varying the types of content. So reels, carousels, graphics, you know, all the things. Um, doing different things on stories. So we'll, we did like a subscription focused Q&A uh, and then we'll have a day of subscription focused polls, um, things like that. So it was like a really big push. I'm sure at the end, people were really tired of me talking about it. Um, and we did at that same time offer social media subscribers um, a couple of weeks free if they subscribed. So we picked up a few hundred people and those people have largely stayed. The cancellation rate is really, really low. Um, and it's only been growing from there. So those few hundred people you picked up is because you were running the promotion on Instagram where they got a couple of weeks free for signing up. And how did, is that right? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say that the incentive like drove probably a portion of them, but the other part was this like nine day campaign where I've worked on campaigns for brands. And so I basically like flashback to every brand brief I've ever read and was like, what if I make one of these for me? like as thoughtful and strategic and like, you know, pre-planned as I would for a company that wants to pay me to make them some content. Let's do it for myself. And it was the, the repetition of those, uh, of the promotion over those nine days that really drove it home. Yeah. And, you know, you have to vary the message a little bit so that it's not uh -huh. like annoying, but the repetition, because on any social media platform, like you can have 10,000 followers, but that doesn't mean that the algorithm is going to show your post to all 10,000 mm -hmm. of them. So it's like, if you hit it on multiple days, talking about it from multiple angles and use varied types of content, you have the ability hopefully to reach as many of them as possible. And you might only hit them two or three times. Yeah, but that's necessary because just the one is not enough. And if you post about it twice, it's not enough. And yeah. this is actually really important. I, I want to make an entire podcast episode about this, where a lot of successful companies, their sales process, the, the amount of repetition of their message and frequency that they're reaching out to customers is one that most new business owners say, oh, I would never reach out. I would never be that annoying with my marketing, where they're so far from the level that a customer would perceive them as annoying because even those nine posts uh, every day in a row only gets seen two or three times. Like you're still far from the level that you're actually annoying these people. Um, so it's a great point to make that just driving home that message over nine days was really important rather than just having a, a one-off story where it says, hey, by the way, if you get into my program, you get a, and before they even finish reading that, they've already skipped onto the next one. And then maybe the next time they hear, see your message, they'll slow down a little bit and, and read the whole thing this time. So it, that repetition is really necessary. Uh, tell me more about bringing it on to, onto your own website though. How difficult was the tech setup for that and any tips that you have for there? 
So it's, I would say it's simple because my website is through Wix and I know people who have um, memberships or subscriptions through Squarespace as well. Those two are going to be easier than if you have a website on WordPress or, you know, another web uh, platform. And I, if we, we can get into websites at another time, but I'm, I have a very strong belief that when we are creating something that we care about, we, especially as entrepreneurs, have a tendency to want it to be perfect. And the desire for perfection can prevent us from like making solid gains. So I see this a lot with my friends who are creating websites. They want all the plugins. They want all the functionalities. So they go with WordPress and it is like the industry standard for bloggers. Um, but then they don't know how to use it and it's overwhelming and it's complicated. So it either never gets done it never gets, you know, published and shared with the world, et cetera. And I'm like, use the platform that works for you. I don't have that much time or energy for tech stuff. So I like Wix and it functions perfectly. And to add my subscription onto Wix, um, it doesn't cost me anything additional. They do charge like a processing fee for credit card transactions, but the subscription home, like that plugin, whatever, it doesn't cost anything more than I'm already paying. I would say I'm above average with tech and I had a WordPress website for a while and it is a nightmare. You add a new plugin and it makes some of the other plugins not function. And then you have to go through and figure out which one it is that's ruining your whole website. Um, I switched to ClickFunnels for my coaching business and that was a lot better shopify for e-commerce or like really just any kind of website builder especially where it's a got a visual builder where you're just kind of dragging and dropping things around because to your point with them wanting to be a perfectionist if you have to hire someone to do updates on your wordpress website every time you want something moved around and then they you don't really like how they did it and then you got to go back and forth it's just so annoying there's a website should be something that you can uh, control yourself, even if you hire out the the most of it. Uh, as far as it not being a perfectionist, though, what part did you have to personally give up in uh, your control of this process? So there are like just a couple small features that Wix doesn't offer. Um, so I had to sacrifice those features. But like I looked at my Patreon earnings from was last year, twenty twenty one. Wow, um, and I like paid them. I think like more than $10,000 in fees. And I was like, I'm literally running a small business. That is way too much money for me to be paying someone in fees. Is it a flat percentage? Um, so it depends on like what, so there are various levels of Patreon accounts you can have. So it depends on like the kind of functionality you need. And my community is pretty robust, right? So I couldn't be on like the, the cheapest tier. Um, so they charge per tier, a certain fee and then credit card processing fees on top of that. So it can end up being a significant chunk. And I mean, Substack is the other popular home for subscriptions. It's built for writers, but Substack does have functionality for multimedia now. And Substack takes a flat 10%, 10% off the top. Um, and so, you know, you have to, it's probably easier to get set up on Substack or Patreon than to do it yourself. But if it grows, that can really start to hurt. You are completely providing the traffic regardless of where you host the subscription though, right? Yeah. In that case, then you probably do want to run it on your own site because when people list things on websites like meetups.com 
or even like Amazon, the, the main benefit is if you're going to give up this percentage to the website that they found the traffic for you. And yeah. uh, in these cases, they're more of just the website builder, but it's probably not that complicated to make a pretty basic subscription model. I guess it's more for providing them with uh, content, like where is this members area hosted? Is that all in Wix too? Yeah. So there is a members area. Um, you know, I had to fiddle with it for a while because I was like, I've never done this on Wix before, but you figure it out. There's a members area. They can manage their subscriptions. They can get all the members content in a central place. They can comment, they can, you know, and it's, it's fine. Um, and for everything I need, because Wix also makes it so you can manage events. I host free events for my community every month. And so I can do all the event stuff in there as well, like all streamlined in one platform, which has made it so much easier. Uh, so for me, I'm like, I will sacrifice a feature or two to save like 15K a year and to have more control um, and to, to have everything in one place. Are you using Stripe as the payment processor? Uh, so Wix has the built-in payments on the back end. I'm sure they're using Stripe, but, um, and so it's, it was pretty easy. Like I can do Apple pay, um, PayPal credit cards, kind of however someone feels comfortable to set up their subscription. Anything else you would do differently with your switch from Patreon over to the, your own site? I mean, I would say for anyone who's a creator, who's thinking about a subscription, do it on your website. So the biggest benefit that I think uh, is kind of lost if we start talking about features is that, for example, when you're housed on Patreon on or on Substack, people only come there if they're already looking for a, your Patreon or your Substack. And so I found in the year plus that I was on Patreon, my community didn't grow unless I was actively sharing about it somewhere else. It never grew on a day that I wasn't storying about it or I didn't put up a TikTok about it, et cetera. Now that my community is on my website and I have intentionally kind of interlinked it with the content that's free and available to the public on my website, I can pick up subscribers on days when I'm not sharing about it. So you get this kind of like organic traffic that people come to my site because of an article I wrote or because of something they want to check out. And then they're like, oh, there's this other thing. And they click it. Um, and a lot of times they, if you're on Patreon or Substack, people don't have that opportunity to kind of organically opt in because they're interested in what you're doing. So the SEO of your blog posts brings in that traffic. And then obviously it's just uh, you know, the subscription areas right on that same site that they're on. Yeah. And also and I I made some crappy Canva ads. I won't call them crappy. I'm not a graphic designer, but they work. So I, another thing bloggers often do is they want to wait until their web traffic gets to a certain point before they put up ads because they want to get on Mediavine or something like that, right? So they can get ad revenue. That's great. Love it. Great strategy. Even when I had very minimal traffic, I was like, what if I just like look at how other people's ads look on their, <laughs> on their websites that seem to be doing well? And I make something similar in Canva, but it's an ad for my own subscription and embed those in my free articles and web pages. So I have ads on my site, but they are just really like optimized graphics that connect to the article and are like, oh, want more of this, like check this out kind of thing. Um, and so to just more make it more likely that somebody 
is on my webpage and then opts in. And I had those when I had a Patreon, but I still didn't get as much like um, kind of organic crossover as I do now. Do you have uh, at the end of these blog posts, like a call to action to subscribe to your Patreon or just Mm -hmm. wherever your subscription? So I'll do that with a a graphic as well. Um, And then I also will, depending on like longer articles, I'll embed graphics like mid roll as well. Um, I try to make it so that there's never more than two maximum um, on a page. I do think that as a user, I find this, especially on recipe blogs a lot, I will immediately click off if I open it and there's like a video ad going, there's a pop-up down here. And then there's like three more ads half before I get to the recipe. I'm like, I'm done. It's too much. So if someone wanted to start their own subscription, uh, what point of their influencer career would you recommend they be at? Or even what level of expertise do you need to be? Um, Sounds like you've got some other uh, creators in there, but that came later. Um, So otherwise, it's been all up to you to have the expertise to provide enough info to this community. Um, And you also had to have the audience. Um, What would you say is a good time to consider starting something like this? So first and foremost, I would look at your social media presence and I would say, I would be honest with yourself. Are you creating content consistently? And I mean like five days a week consistently. Um, Is that something that you feel comfortable doing? Like really having kind of this regular system, system down to create something for public consumption? Because I feel like I've talked to people who want to build a subscription and then they're like, oh, you know, I can't keep up with Instagram. And granted, it is exhausting. Social media platforms are exhausting. But if you are not in the habit of creating something where you have to show up every week, you're not ready for a subscription. Um, You're just not. And it's going to take more effort in most cases for your subscription because people are paying you, right? They're going to want something that is reliable, something that does add value. So first and foremost, are you already showing up on social media? I would say you definitely can create a subscription as a micro-influencer. I'm a micro-influencer. My biggest concern would be, what are your expectations? Um, I think sometimes people look at, they look at a subscription that's successful and they're like, well, I just want to do that in three months. And for subscription communities, I found that you will have certain moments where you might have a launch that goes well or, you know, some sort of offer that does really well, but the rest of the growth is kind of going to be slow and steady. So are you committed to literally marketing this thing every other day in some way? Um, And people ask, you know, how did you grow your subscription? I'm like, I just show up all the time. So if I'm doing something for my subscription, I share it on Instagram stories. Um, If something exciting is happening for my subscribers, I share it everywhere. Every single drop that goes out that's an exclusive, I share it everywhere. And, uh, you know, you have to kind of like be committed to creating the content, making sure you're connecting with your community, and then making sure that you can show up to market it. And you're going to have to be salesy. You do have to be salesy the, with that, whatever business you choose. And uh, I think uh, there's a lot of people that go into business that would also, 
if, if offered a sales job would have said, oh no, I'm not a salesman. And then once they got into business, they realized, oh, that's what I have to do. Because when we say, yeah, you have to promote it every other day uh, or nine days in a row to actually get results. And then, oh yeah, keep this up for years too. And no, you're not bugging anyone. This is the only way that you'll possibly get their attention eventually is if you are this frequent with it, because that's just how quickly people are moving on Instagram. Just pay attention to yourself when you go through a story, how quickly you're going through it. Um, I do want to ask you about showing up on your story uh, as someone who's not really an influencer. And I really don't feel like I am like, I'm not like a personal brand to the level that I'm like relatable to like, here's what I'm doing with my day all day. Like I'm very just focused on my business right now. Um, I'm more of a like very business focused person. And then I go on vacation, then I come back and, uh, you know, I, I think my day to day life is maybe not interesting. Um, or at least I don't really post about my workouts and stuff like that. I'm just like, I'm just going to be like social media and business. Otherwise, I don't really let my people know. What do you think of like businesses who wouldn't really consider themselves personal brands? How much do they really need to just still find a way to show up on their story versus, um, you know, this is just an influencer. So this is kind of two part question. And then the second part is, you know, if you do deem it as I do want to show up with my personal brand on my story, do you ever, how much are you like ever debating? Like, do, do I really need to share this food pick or like how, how much is going on in your brain? Or are you just like everything, just post everything? So, okay. First and foremost, I would say that anyone who has a business should be showing up on their story and should be showing up regularly. Um, because if you, if you think about how Instagram functions, right, your, your feed posts have limited reach and reaches seems to get worse every day. <laughs> and, uh, there's so much competition in feed and also feed posts. There's an expectation still on Instagram that there's a level of production that's pretty high for a social media. I mean, it's very high compared to TikTok, even Twitter folks do not show up that like, you know, presentable on the feed. So as a business owner, I feel like um, if you're serious about your business, whether you're a personal brand or not, stories are where it's at because stories are where you get a little, you get to be a little bit more free, a little less production value. Um, and you can, I, I always try to tell people, you don't have to show up to like show your workout as a business owner, but why don't you show people like this, the behind the scenes of this big project you're working on, right? You're all you, you're always working on something for your business. Always. I right? should there's like always grab my phone right now and like story yes. this. Yes. There's always something completely business related that's bubbling. So why not share that? You don't have to be a personal brand, but as a business owner, you should let people in on the processes that are going on behind the scenes. You should let them know what you're excited about, what you're working on, what they can expect from you. And that's how you're going to connect with them. And so stories are really like your sales magic, I think on Instagram, like my sales posts, my feed might do well, but it's really in stories and in the conversations that they spark that like those connections are made. Um, and so like, yeah, you're always working on something for your business. Share that. I just made a story. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and then as far as how much to share, so it's funny because I'm an influencer and especially because I do lifestyle stuff, people think that I, that means I share everything. I do not y'all, y'all do not see that much of my life. And I think that that's something we have to kind of get used to like 60 seconds of someone's life. is not an accurate representation of what's going on in their day. So, um, share what's comfortable to you. 
I, for example, am married. My husband is amazing. He does not like social media and every single thing that has him in it. If I'm going to post it, I have to ask him first. And I cannot tell you how many things he has vetoed that I'm sure we're going to go viral. Like absolutely sure. Because he's so funny and he doesn't give a shit about the camera. So on camera, he's completely natural, right? So he's just like, it w- I know it would resonate, but he's not comfortable with that. So it's not going up. Um, and I you would didn't say- know he was being filmed. And then you were like, hey, by the way, I just filmed all of yeah, that. Yeah, can, can I, I post, post that? It? And he's like, no. Damn. <laughs> Like I already did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But so I would say that if you're a business owner or a brand of any sort, uh, for stories, try to think of things that are relevant to your brand, but don't be afraid to stray outside of that. People are on social media because they want to feel connected, especially in a time when a lot of people are like, the world seems crazy right now. We've been in lockdown for years Um, it seems like everyone I know in the last week, including my husband got COVID. (laughs) And so, you know, like people feel alone and they feel isolated. And so connect with them. Like that's what social media exists for is to connect with people. And you can do that in a way that's true to who you are and true to the business you want to run. You don't have to air all your dirty laundry, but like be a human online. How do you, do you ever feel like when you post a story, like how often are you like, Oh, I'm going to delete that later. Or is it Never. like it's posted and it's done. It's forgotten about. The only time I delete a story is if it was supposed to go to close friends and it accidentally went to the public. And that's because my close friend stories are only for members of my subscription community. And so we like go behind the scenes. We do stuff on there that like other people don't have access to because they haven't subscribed, but if I post it, I'm not deleting it. And the same on TikTok. I'm not deleting it. I'm not making it private. Who cares if it flopped? Honestly, who cares? Our, our social media memory is like two seconds long. People are going to forget that in a day. I think the, the thing that makes it hard for people to see that is our social media memory of our own posts is like every time I log on, I see it that it flopped (laughs) so uh it's like I'm deleting it for me so I don't have to look at it but um I mean I have to think about it this way I didn't start with a video background so when I first started doing video they were horrible horrible like I mean I cringe looking at these videos but if I didn't do those videos and I didn't share them and then take the feedback that I got from them and then make more videos I never would have made a video that that a million people watched right or I never would have made a video that like people DM me and were like, that video made me cry. And everyone wants to see that, you know, your transition and how far you've come. Um, and I had like one phase where I was like, should I just like archive like all my posts that were bad before? Cause I was just like, I see him enough. And I was like, it makes my page look better, but like really no one ever scrolls down anyways. Um, and then I was That's just like, overall as a content creator, especially someone who's uh, promoting that you should boldly post, uh, you know, pr- probably should not archive their previous work. And I should really show that like, look, even I came from really not knowing what I was doing and I still don't, I'm sure in a couple of years that the content now will not look as good. Um, but it, it really doesn't matter. And, and people like showcasing that it doesn't really look good if your account has like 20 posts all of a sudden, cause you just archived everything. Yeah. And I would say that thankfully I I have a lot of issues with TikTok as a platform, but TikTok is affecting Instagram in my view. 
Instagram is becoming a little less produced, a little grittier. Uh, and I do think it's the TikTok effect because so many people are on TikTok nowadays and they see how fast things move on TikTok and how low the production value can be. And those trends are now transferring over to Instagram. So the pressure isn't as high. It's still pretty high. Instagram still has a lot of like very professional, you know, visual content creators on there, but it's not, I would say like it was a few years ago when everything felt like it had to be picture perfect. What do you see for the future of Instagram um, pros and cons? Pros, it's much easier to build a community than it is on other platforms. Uh, TikTok, yeah, you still have that virality, but community is really hard to create there. Um, and community is important for more than just like feeling good when you're online. As a business owner, it's really important for sales as well, for conversion. You have to have that like, like, no, and trust factor for them to want to spend money with you and spend time with you online. So that's the pro with Instagram is that it's still by far much better than TikTok for building a community. Cons, oh my gosh, so many cons. <laughs> the features are all over the place. They keep introducing features we don't necessarily want or need. I do feel like as a user, it feels to me like Instagram has lost a little bit of its identity and it doesn't quite know what it wants to do or where it wants to go. It feels to me like they're just pulling things in from all sources, many of them being TikTok. Um, however, I don't necessarily think that means Instagram is dying, which I know a lot of people say that right now. Um, I don't think that TikTok has what it takes to compete at this point because it's so unpredictable. So here's the thing. Everyone wants to market and sell right now on TikTok because you have this slim potential to go viral. And that's awesome. And if you do that, great. But there is very little predictability as far as content performance on TikTok. You still have character limits, which make it hard to have full conversations with people in comments and in captions. And so in my view, it's like how are businesses going to fully leverage that unless they're willing to do what Duolingo does and have an in-house content creator who makes all their TikToks, right? Um, but that leaves out most small businesses. Is that the right? company with the owl? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and if you're looking for a business that's doing incredible marketing on TikTok, right? They're the prime example. But all of the businesses I know on TikTok that are killing it have in-house creators who make all of their TikToks. The Washington Post has creators who make their TikToks. But that leaves out small businesses and it leaves out a whole host of like even medium-sized businesses. Um, and so I think that I'm not sure that Instagram is dying. I think we're all just frustrated with it. Yeah, the amount of features that it's acquiring reminds me of Facebook. Uh, I get, could we say Facebook is dead now? Like, uh, I mean, there's still plenty of people who are on there. It's never really dead as long as there's, still millions of active users every month it's just look not i mean facebook is dead but i like recently made sales on facebook like that's wild to me uh -huh. right i don't even have like a really active facebook presence but like people still find my articles on facebook and then opt into my subscription community and pay me money every month because like it gets shared on facebook so but i don't even think instagram is going that that far downhill yet i think we're just frustrated with all these new features and with all the algorithm changes and it just feels like there's some sort of upheaval going on we, we're not quite sure what's happening yet as an influencer what do you think of the like stories feature oh i love it 
it, because it reduced your DMs? Yes, because look, every, <laughs> and, and I say this as someone who I have been active every day on my stories for years, even when I wasn't an influencer, even when I was just doing this for fun, I always liked stories as a feature. So I have a pretty active story audience. And if I say something like controversial or spicy, my DMs will be flooded. And sometimes I can't keep up with them. And then I miss messages that are important. And, you know, that happens as your account grows. But I've always been known as somebody who responds to DMs to almost everyone, unless you seem creepy and then I'm just not replying. So reducing the DMs that I get that are non-substantive to me is fabulous. And I can see how people with larger accounts, it's probably a load off because every time somebody used to like something or send a heart, that was an, an individual DM. That was wild to me. I can see uh, if you're a big account who gets a lot of um, messages, especially just like the single emoji reactions that it's super annoying to go through. Uh, I initially was like, I really don't like this uh, because a lot of my sales process too is like, it starts with the conversation. So I was like, oh, a lot of those, you know, led to um, to sales or, or even just uh, referring them to, to a free resource or something like that. Um, so it was beneficial not to just get the likes, but to get a reaction and, you know, get a message started. Um, so I was like, I think most people won't like this. Um, but I, I could see how influencers, this was like very necessary. It was so, so helpful. I mean, even influencers were up in arms when they gave the link sticker to everyone or was to swipe up. It used to be yeah. 10,000, right? Guess yeah. what? Nobody uses it. Who's not an influencer. So it doesn't matter. Like I, I knew this would happen. Influencers were up in arms that everyone was going to have access to links and stories. And then most people don't use it. Um, right. Most people don't think about social media, the way that content creators think yeah. about it. And so it just seemed like a weird way to gatekeep like this desire to make it so that smaller accounts couldn't have it. I didn't like it because I did like just looking at the results. I got a lot more people that swiped up than clicked the link for whatever reason. I don't know if people are just in the habit of it, or it was just kind of fun to swipe up on it, or it was just like swipe rather than click the stamp and like the, the sticker and then click the link that would pop up. It was like two clicks. Um, I'm not really sure what it is, but I seem to just get a lot less link clicks overall. Are you, um, uh, this is like a technical question, but when you're using links, are you doing the like text overlay where you can like, you know, instead of like having it linked to www. you know, whatever.com, are you doing like click here, join us? Yeah. Yeah. So I do like that feature. I don't really know if it helps, <laughs> but I think it makes it seem more human mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just like this vague link. But um, I, I honestly think that if you're selling in stories, it's usually going to be like via DM anyway, I think. Yeah, I'll do like uh, an arrow pointing at the sticker and then I'll do like some uh, color behind the link to really make it stick out. But uh, it just doesn't seem like as many people do that. Um, but I mean, if they, if they want to do it bad enough, then they'll probably click it either way. They will. They'll find a way. <laughs> So lots of great stuff, Remya. Um, any final thoughts uh, or anything else I should ask you? Um, I would just say that, and this goes back to how I got my start in food, but the content creator space can feel very lonely. 
um, and very competitive and it does not have to be. So I found like an incredible network of people to learn from, to ask questions, to, you know, kind of support each other through this process. And those people have, you know, spoken my name in rooms and gotten me opportunities that I never would have dreamed of. So if you're really interested in that, and this is a career, find those people or, you're, or you'll burn out without them. Like you need those people and to not be afraid to try new things. And I say that in like defining your, your voice, your brand voice, like you don't have to be like everyone else. And honestly, if you try to mimic everyone else so closely, you're not going to stand out anyway. But even when you're thinking about monetization, there's so many ways that you can make this work. Um, I, you know, I still haven't hit 40 K on Instagram. I've been close for a while and it seems like my growth has like absolutely slowed down, but at the same time, like my subscription is thriving and it's growing and it's a place that I can do work that I find to be really fulfilling that I control and no algorithm can control. So if I hadn't like taken the chance to do something weird that I hadn't really thought about a year and a half, two years ago, I wouldn't be in the position to have the freedom I have now as a creator. So don't try to be like everyone else. Don't try to sound like everyone else. Really find your own space and define it for yourself. And then you're probably going to fail publicly many, many times. And you kind of have to just keep doing that. Definitely got to get used to that. And, and it's not really even failure. It's just your post flopped. <laughs> so Yeah. Or like, you know, you like somebody might DM you and be like, that wasn't great. You know, who cares? Like you kind of have to just let go of a lot of ego to do this process publicly because there's going to be a lot of public growth. You have to let go of, of the ego. And would you say sometimes those messages make you less scared of haters just because you're like, oh, that, that didn't even make sense. Or if that's all I got to deal with, that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. I mean, and I, I personally have had a lot of trolls, but I'm also very outspoken on my account. So like it comes with the territory, but the trolls, like they, they really motivate my core audience. So if people go out of their way to be mean to me on the internet, like that says more about them than it does about me. And it also usually, if I decide to share it, like makes people go out of their way to show how much they appreciate my work. Right. So like the internet can seem dark and scary, but there's also really kind, really smart, really thoughtful people out there as well. And a lot of times they don't even like your post. They just see it and they're like, oh, I love that. And they don't even like it. And then they scroll on. Yeah. Um, but then the haters like, oh, I'm going to comment on this. Uh, so you have all these people who are secretly admiring your work that are, are important to, to know about. Because if you just look at the like number, uh, I really like to think that that number is really about a third or a quarter of the amount of people who actually enjoyed uh, seeing your posts that actually engage with it. So, so many more people appreciating you than, than not. Um, but plenty of uh, awesome information that you shared today, Anella. Um, for those of you want, that want to keep up with her, she is Feed the Malik on Instagram as well as TikTok and Twitter. Uh, if you would like to submit to be on the podcast, like uh, Anella did with the podcast listener awards, you just need over 25,000 followers on any platform and just start by DMing me at social bamboo underscore on Instagram. And we will go from there. Um, thank you so much for listening and have a great day.